Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, some of the Twinkle EYFS team, special guest speakers and other early years practitioners as we talk honestly about our experiences. Whether you're listening for CPD, on your commute or to help you relax, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello lovely listeners, it's Shana here from the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast and we have got a super fun special guest to share with you today. We've got Samantha Delacchia and she's got something really interesting to share with us about something called the collective approach. You might have heard of it before, you might not, but don't worry, that's what this episode is for. But before we get there, we're going to have another episode of Only in the EYFS. This week in Only in the EYFS. This episode's rendition of Only in the EYFS is going to be a little bit different because we asked you practitioners on our social media, tell me you work in early years without telling me you work in early years. And the responses are hilarious. Let's take a look. Katrina Berry says, I have a piece of Lego, a pebble, and the lid of a felt-tip pen in my pocket. Yeah, that's going to be a true one, right? How many other random things have you found in your pockets when you get home? Only in early years. Louise said the same. Missing pen lids, Play-Doh stuck to my knees, missing socks from sandpit play, don't put that in your mouth, don't lick that, dribble patch from a child that falls asleep on you, find plastic food in difficult places to get it out of when you have adult-sized hands. She's talking about a kettle in the roleplay area there, right? Why? Why are they putting things in these holes? Oh, wait, Julia and Louise is going to tell me off because that's going to be a schema. And we're talking about that in, a, in an episode later on. So keep that in mind, right? But still, only in early years. Caitlin Louise says, what did I just put my hand in? Phew, it was only custard. And last week it was rice pudding. Okay, phew, because in early years it could have been anything, right? Thank goodness it was something edible. I'm pretty sure we've had experiences where it hasn't been. Yay, early and early years. And last but certainly not least, in fact, I think it might be my favourite. Vicky Shaw says, glitter in my belly button. How does it get everywhere? How? We didn't even have glitter out today. Is it just me? Is it just me? That's it for this episode. Tune in next time for more antics in only in the EYFS. Well, yeah. I'm sure a lot of those comments you would have resonated with listeners. I mean, it's just, I'm sure there are many more as well. Please keep them coming. They were hilarious. They made me laugh. And we all deserve a good laugh in early years as well, don't we? Tough job, rewarding, but giggles help us get through, especially at the end of the academic year, right? We're nearly there, guys. You can do it. So moving on to our main event of today's episode, we are going to be talking about the collective approach with Samantha Delacchia. Now, if you hadn't heard about the collective approach already, it's basically the understanding that it takes more than one person to raise a child. And what we mean by that is it's a collective effort to ensure that our children get the best start in life. So that includes everybody from parents and carers, external family members, childminders, early years practitioners and teachers, speech therapists, pediatricians, dentists, GPs, the list could go on. But this episode is going to talk about why it's so important to make sure we have those connections and help each other and do it together, right? It's the most important part of any child's life, those first five years, arguably the first seven. And it takes a lot of us to help each other to get it right. So Sam is going to share with us how we can do that. 
Take it away, Sam. Hey, Sam. It's great to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. I'm super excited. But before we like get stuck in to the right details of what we're going to talk about today, why don't you introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Tell us about you. Tell us about your education journey um, and about what you're up to now. Ooh, where do I start? And thank you so much for having me. <laughs> um, okay, so hello everyone. Um, thank you for for listening to my story. Here it comes. Um, so I'm Samantha Delakia. Hi. <laughs> um, I started as a nursery nurse. Um, so my kind of background is in education. I started as a nursery nurse. I went into Montessori teaching. Ooh. Then I went into primary education and kind of the mainstream area of, of education went to key stage two straight away because I'd had enough of the little ones and then worked back my friends <laughs> they always get you back you all can't escape the us. way back to early years <laughs> yeah um so I've done all the ages um and then I kind of worked I was a, a phonics lead and then I was a um a, an early years um lead and kind of practitioner and specialist there became deputy head um and didn't want the headship I was like, I don't want the next step here. What do I do instead? Mm. So I went into consultancy and school improvement. And I used to go in and I worked for a, a very large literacy company. And I used to do teacher training and support and, and coaching and mentoring within schools, leadership support, and really looking at data and, and helping drive reading and writing in schools. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was the best thing until I found the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it was, I worked with hundreds and hundreds of schools across London and surrounding areas in this role. And I found that there was always a gap. Mm -hmm. There was always a gap between what we saw on paper and what the children could actually do. Preach. Yes. So I was having a conversation with one of the heads one time in school and we were looking at this data and she just turned to me and she said, Sam, what's in the gap? Mm -hmm. And we sat there and we looked at the gap and we thought, it's not they can't do it. It's not that they don't know it. It's that they're not applying it. And anyone in education will be like, yes, we have seen this. This is, you know, the thing that we see all the time. Yeah. And so we started to look at the data and we started to think, okay, if it's not the knowledge, it's the application. And they always say that, you know, knowledge is key, knowledge is power, but actually knowledge is knowledge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> application is where the power is because if you know everything, you do nothing with it. It takes you nowhere. If you know it and do something with it, it propels you forwards. So we started to look at confidence in the children that we were looking at their numbers, you know, looking at the, the data. And that was when I started to do the confidence and communications coaching with children, because we started to see huge gaps in what they were doing there, what we were seeing, and the fact that they didn't believe that they could do it. Mm. They didn't think they could do it. So when they got to any test scenario, any assessment scenario, anything that didn't feel like the average day-to-day -day stuff, they just clammed up. And it was there that I started to really kind of hone in on what I wanted to, to create. And it was thank you to that head teacher there who turned to me and said, Sam, you should do this full time. <laughs> And look, she did. And yes, I, there yeah. we go. I um, I did. And I started with that school. And we did confidence communications coaching with those children. And from there, we had children go a whole year's progress in less than 12 weeks during the program that I put together. It was incredible. Wow. The outcomes were fantastic. And we started to think, okay, it's all about confidence. And then 
we realized it wasn't all about confidence because actually <laughs> there was another layer to it and that was emotional regulation mm-hmm. um so it grew from there i started to you know feed all these things in um, i certified as an nlp practitioner and executive coach and mentor started to really look at kind of the neuroscience behind behavior i've done lots and lots of investigating in this topic and now what we really do is we do we we focus on the 360 support so now we kind of look at what are the needs of those children that are not showing success quote unquote because that is where we need to be and it was through those sessions actually that the the company shifted because i had children come to me in these sessions and say sam i'm doing all of this work with you it's making all the difference on the inside but on the outside i'm being told off for it and i kind of lent in and said what do you mean (laughs) why would you be told off for this stuff and one of the children i will never forget he said to me well my teacher sam my teacher's amygdala is all over the place and she doesn't even know it and i told her oh my god <laughs> i told her that she was dysregulated and her amygdala just needed to calm down <laughs> and i got sent out <laughs> oh my god. and i was told i was rude and you need to work with her because her amygdala just keeps irritating my amygdala and this child kind of went on and on on this rant oh, that is and brilliant. i sat down and i thought he's so right it's not enough to work with the children. We have to work mm-hmm. with us as grown-ups as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you to that child because through that, our teacher training was born. We then kind of went in to deliver staff wellbeing sessions, training on the neuroscience behind behavior, regulation, co-regulation, self-regulation, shared regulation, all of the different formats that we see rather than kind of always hearing self-regulation. And then another one came in and said, the same about their parents. Ooh. <laughs> oh, and you know, as a parent, it hits hard when you're told about yourself by your child. And Ouch. so, yeah, so we had a chat with that parent following a very tough conversation <laughs> that that child had had with them. And we started our parental strategy sessions. So we now do the 360 of parents, practitioners, and children all the way up to you know teens um, and beyond and then we started to kind of do this in school and we're, we're really pleased with the results that we've had through what we call the balance system but I tell you we we haven't stopped there which is so exciting because come September we have got the balance zone opening because oh. 360 I know it's very exciting 360 is not really 360 if you're not getting everything in and we were talking to some of the children and this has all come from the kids which I absolutely love because I think sometimes as grown-ups we kind of think yeah we know what we're doing and other times we just realize that we don't <laughs> we don't know what we're doing I'm definitely in that second camp I'm literally like I have no idea what I'm doing any of this yeah. time like yeah me both my friend and I'm like tell me teach me everyone I will do it and we will conquer it together (laughs) um so yeah we were talking and the little one was saying you know I don't feel myself and this is exactly what he said verbatim I don't feel myself and I asked him oh what does myself feel like Mm. (laughs) you know let's figure that out first and he told me I don't feel myself because he was tired he was hungry 
he was this, he was that. And he reeled off all of these amazing insights that he had. And we'd been doing the, the work with him for a little while. And so he was using the, the wonderful words that we'd, we'd been practicing. And that was when I realized we needed the balance zone. We needed a full 360. I think we were, we thought it was 360, but it was really a 180. <laughs> um, and now we were like, okay, we need the other half. So now the balance zone opens and I have got a range of experts joining me to keep going with this mission. And we are covering the full 360 of needs now. So not only are we helping parents and teachers with our training, but we're going on the go support with all areas of life. Because I think so often it's like behavior is this whole separate thing. Yeah. You know, we deal with it in the moment. But actually that child was like, that's not me. I'm just hungry. I'm just tired. You know, I'm this and I'm that. And that I'm not being difficult. I'm not trying to upset you. And it was through that. And I was like, right, OK, so who do we need? And I made a list of all the things he'd said. And I was like, these are the people we need in, in the balance zone. So now from September, parents will have a full access to a range of specialists that cover nutrition, sleep, all, all the, the stuff that, that we really kind of overlook when it comes to behavior, as well as having the teacher platform for ongoing support there. So, so excited to, to be kind of at this point now. But the journey has been an interesting one, I think, um, especially kind of talking to all the people that I've, I've managed to talk to over the last few months. It's just been an incredible, incredible experience. And I've learned so much. I mean, you have done all the roles. I mean, you've got so much experience. Like you've been in every position and also you are a mama. So you also know from the parents' side. So it's like, yeah. if anyone knows what's going on, it's going to be Samantha. We can get that. in touch. Or I can figure it out <laughs> with you, you know. I think my husband says, I mean, as a youngster, and I don't know about you, but as a, as a youngster, I had a whole host of jobs. You know, I, I worked from like 14. I was like, I was worked in the cafe. I've worked in the pharmacy. I've done all that. And I was like, sometimes we'll go places and I'll be like, oh, I worked there. I was like, oh, I worked there. <laughs> my husband's always like, is there a job that you haven't done? <laughs> and I was like, but this is just kind of how I grew up. It was like, what well, go to work? You know, put yeah. yourself in work. So it kind of like has obviously, you know, been a thing since since childhood for myself. And now hopefully I'll pass that on to, to my my young developing mind, <laughs> my little human. Yeah, and look what like you've been able to do with it. Like power to you for starting this set up in this company by yourself yes I'm Thank always you. about the entrepreneurial ship especially in early years <laughs> because I feel like in early years practitioners and teachers we get taken for granted it's like oh you just babysit yeah. excusez-moi excusez-moi no 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 and you know the breadth and knowledge that we all have as practitioners I think yeah. is outstanding Yes. And I'm biased because I'm part of that, you know, earlier sector. But still, I still think it. Sing it. <laughs> yes. I will never Sing shut it. up about it. No. And I think we forget that those early years are the, creating the blueprint for adulthood. And we do not realize how important that is. Right. It is literally hit the nail on the head there. We have such an important job when we're dealing with early years children. And this is why I wanted you to come on and talk about what we're going to come on to in a minute, the collective approach, because yes. everything that you've described to me has kind of like proven that point. That Remember that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, it needs to be a forever saying. Yeah, I feel like, especially when I was growing up, that kind of dissipated and people mm, weren't really using yeah. it. I feel like maybe in the 
50s and 60s and 70s you know you know kids were able to I don't know play in the street more and have more I don't know connections and aunties and friends were always looking after you and of course in terms of like official buildings there were more family centers you know they've been shut down recently and there's not as much support there yeah I feel like it's making a comeback because I think we're all realizing especially after COVID when we were all isolated and we weren't able to connect with other people to support us it really hit home like oh damn oh yeah no we really can't we Mm. can't do this by ourselves nor should we try no and I don't think we should either and I agree with you I think that's why early as practitioners whether in a day nursery or in a preschool or in a school setting they are so unique to perhaps maybe other key stage staff because we have those relationships with our families because they are necessary for the child and there are so many other things like, you know, you've got your, yeah, the age two progress check, you know, you've got your health visitors and, you know, your social workers and yeah. all, like, there's so many things that go on, your speech therapist, your, you know, physiotherapist, like there's so many mm. things that go on that we need, everybody needs to be involved to ensure that the first five years of a child's life is as successful as it can be. And this is where the collective approach comes in, I think. And I'm going to leave it to you because you're the expert. What does that really mean? What is the collective approach? I think this is such a great topic and I actually think it should go to seven rather than five because I think, you know, those first seven years of our lives fundamentally, as I said, create our internal voice, create how we view the world, all of the filter systems. And for anyone that's done any training with me or or wants to come on over guys, <laughs> we do go into the filter systems quite heavily. Basically, those are the, the blueprint of what we then go on to. And of course, that's not to say that we can't change because you know, the old dogs always learn new tricks. But (laughs) I think it's a lot easier if we just get the blueprint right in the first place, or as right as it can possibly be. And I use right with like air quotes here. Mm. So in terms of a collective approach, what we really want is we want to share the load, Mm. you know, we want to be able to bring in, we cannot know everything. You know, there is nothing that we can know everything about in terms of children and development and and this is one of the reasons the balance zone to me is just so so crucial and important is because I don't know everything about speech and language I don't know everything about nutrition and I don't know everything about sleep my goodness I wish I did right now because my toddler <laughs> whoo, um <laughs> I'm really looking forward to working with my <laughs> the sleep coach who's joining the team um but so all of these things you know they are collective we as a human being, the human experience is a collective experience. We are, mm. there is no one thing that we do. We do everything, you know, we do all of it. And to support the whole self is not possible if you don't have a whole team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we talk about in education and kind of care settings, you know, the team around the child or the, the team around this and that. And actually, it's not just when we are in need that that team is important. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly the, the balance system and the approach that we're working on so heavily is one that is preemptive. It is, I don't know if I just made that word up, guys. No, that is a that is an official word. That's a real word. I do have the Sam (laughs) dictionary available for anyone that wants it. Um, (laughs) But you know, um, in terms of the 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 world around us, we want to preempt where we're gonna need that support. We want to make sure that the children that are in our care, whether they are ours at home or ours in the classroom or the nursery or whatever, they get that. 
And they get that from a young age, not that they get the help. Yes, we want that too, but that they get that they can't do everything by themselves. Right. <laughs> I mean, my toddler would disagree. Oh, well, your toddlers know best. <laughs> That's what I've learned. Just, you know, they're, they're the leader, but you're so right. Yeah. And like, why are we, why are we waiting until it's, uh, difficult why are we waiting until people are struggling or the children are struggling or the parents are struggling like this whole collective approach should happen from the off yeah. you know for everyone not just those in need I think as well the fear factor mm. the fear factor is the problem and actually I was talking about this earlier because we're so fearful of accepting the ch- challenge or accepting that life is a challenge or has lots of them and we're so scared to take social services help to sign up for that. I had a, I was working with a parent really recently who actually, when she first had her child, her first son, she was offered help. She was offered this um, through the NHS, I believe, you know, that she could sign up and it was almost parenting classes, you know, which I think everyone should have available to them. Parent strategy sessions are fantastic, a huge need. Everyone should have them. It's not a critique. It is a support. But she signs up to, she wanted to sign up. And at the bottom, it said that she would be on the social services radar or the list, or I don't know the phrasing. She, you know, told me about this. So she didn't sign up. Mm. She had, you know, a bit more than the blues, potential depression. She left there without any help. Her call from the support services at the time was on the phone no one went round. I mean this was kind of you know pandemic time so mm. it was tricky but no one intervened no one helped no one noticed or kind of acknowledged that she was finding it hard because she was masking it so well yeah because she was so terrified of losing her child and I think we've created this fear-driven society where accepting help is scary Mm -hmm. and I think that if we are able to have a balanced approach looking kind of putting in these systems that that reduces our children's you know we talk about generational trauma we talk about generational understandings and, and learnings and things being passed down but we pass down fear too and actually if we can kind of make the butt stop here and and, mm. and actually notice that that's something that's happening we can interrupt the pattern and we can say right okay we don't really want our children to fear failing fear getting stuff wrong fear learning something that's actually really tough and getting help from the people that know better <laughs> or know something more then they don't have that internal fear of asking for help mm. and asking for it in the times that are our darkest you know the brain the human brain wow, it's amazing, but gosh, it can go to some dark places. Mm -hmm. You know, it really can. And I think when you're a practitioner or a parent or anyone that works holding space for someone else, your care for yourself, it's the first port of call. Mm -hmm. And if we can't kind of support our brain when it's finding things tough, you know, the, the world isn't, isn't lions and tigers and bears and you know anymore necessarily for us. It's, it's the internet. It's the instant gratification. It's the you know, the the other dangers that we have mm. now got, if we can't safeguard ourselves in a way that isn't fear led or preventative of us getting help, then we're just going to pass that on to our learning minds, our, our young minds, our developing minds. And that cycle is not broken. 
No. And you make such an important point here, especially about like why this kind of collective approach is so important, because obviously we all know it would be important for the child because the more expertise that's involved, the better, of course. And also children are processing lots of stuff and it's all very new to them and they might not be able to communicate that. And so that's why, you know, help is needed from other areas. But like you say, parents are struggling. There isn't, I've said this so many times on many episodes, there is no book on how to correctly parent. And there shouldn't be for a start. But there are lots of them. (laughs) Well, oh, wow. There are lots of books with opinions on this. (laughs) Opinions is the correct term. Yes. Oh, oh dang, I like it. (laughs) Mm, Many opinions, none are are factual, none are like gospel. so many opinions on it yeah and it's like you know you need that support because you don't instantly as soon as you have a child oh I know everything oh I know it's really difficult especially watching my friends who have recently had children like of course Mm. it's an absolute blessing but my god is it hard work you know yeah and you need that support and that's okay but then like you say also for our social workers our healthcare workers our earliest teachers and practitioners you're holding space for those people and that can be really overwhelming because you're in a position where you are expected to know certain things or know everything and you don't and that can put a lot of pressure on yourself to be like right oh gosh i'm failing these families i'm failing mm. this child because i don't know what to do and blah, blah, blah. and they you know they're not going to think of me in a good way because i actually they're coming to me for help and i don't have the answers and where are you looking after you there and that i think is where the collective approach comes in because like you say we can't we can't all do it all but if we all rely on each other and hold space for each other we can then hold space for ourselves and then do the best that we can and teach our children in the same way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think holding space for ourselves is the first step. Mm. You know, if we can hold space for ourselves long enough <laughs> to actually hear what we need, then we know where to go for help. But if we if we are not holding space for ourselves, you know, and this is really difficult because, I mean, social media is amazing, 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 amazing for so many things. But it's also really challenging because it creates a lot of white noise. It creates a lot of background noise. You know, I always talk about self-care and, you know, kind of what that actually looks like. And social media will throw so much at you around self-care. I mean, it's, you know, self-care Sundays of having a bath or having a shower or (laughs) all these things that are actually just, you know, hygiene. So when we think about self-care, I think we have, you know, go and get my nails done or go and get my hair done. It has to be this external thing. But actually what self-care really means is listening to what you need. That is caring for yourself. And if that is a bath, then that is a bath. Not because you need to have a bath. Mm. <laughs> Not because you're smelling. Yeah, it's because yeah. <laughs> of what it gives you. Exactly that. It's because of it's really time, mm-hmm. relaxation, calm you know and I think sometimes we overlook that and we don't realize that self-care is not about the external care it's about the internal care and yes you know you might see lots of posts about meditation and breathing and all of this stuff but there is a absolute non-negotiable science behind (laughs) the stuff that helps your brain to regulate and breathing is one of those things because we take it so for granted and we forget that actually a lot of our breath, a lot of the breathing that we do doesn't really hit where it needs to get to. We don't breathe in a way that is useful. We're just kind of staying alive. Yeah. (laughs) And actually that's really important, but we also need to be able to regulate through it. Um, So in terms of kind of the, the collective approach, 
just having that holding of space for yourself first is the best way to help anyone else. And again, you know, I feel like it could be a meme or a <laughs> or a social post again. We love a meme. But it is, it really is the place that we start. If we go in, I remember being told by many, 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 many people that my classrooms were bonkers over the years. And I can tell you in, you know, a really quick fire way, they were bonkers because I am bonkers. They are bonkers <laughs> because I am so high energy Yeah. <laughs> that you would come into my classroom and it would be a buzz, a chatter and, you know, laughter and fun. And I am a firm believer that classrooms should never be silent unless they're empty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would be just the way it would. And people would say, oh, I really hope we get your class next year. And then they'd get it and they'd be like, oh, you know. <laughs> because it wasn't them it was me you know it was my extreme energy (laughs) yeah and I would come in I'd be like hi and and then those days where I just didn't have it in me to run my ship the way I would the rest of the time you saw it people would come in and be like oh no what's wrong with everyone today but no there's nothing wrong with everyone it's just me Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just me I've sunk myself this week you know it's that part of my cycle or it's it's, didn't get enough sleep or I didn't eat the right food this you know it cost past 24 hours or whatever but that you can see it in those around you when you hold space for yourself absolutely and what you know and how you treat yourself or how you treat you know it impacts everybody around you doesn't it so it's equally important that way in terms of the collective for any of our listeners maybe who don't know what kind of people would you expect in a child's life to be in in that collective kind of setup I mean of course we've got the child themselves the parent and an earliest practitioner but who else is involved in an early years life I think that's a great question and I think actually there are so many people that we can have involved and I think It's a could and can rather than a should because everyone needs something different at different points. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's necessarily that we have everyone at once, but, you know, some children will need a speech and language therapist, will need an OT, will need a, you know, and all of these kind of other elements that come in because our physiology and our physical development is kind of leads into a whole host of others so you know I I did a lot of work around um when I was creating this system talking to people around um sound processing and the impact our ability to process sound has on everything Mm. my goodness it's huge you know so sensory stuff is huge and we don't necessarily spot it we don't necessarily realize unless someone's not hearing us (laughs) that there's something going on um, so I think, you know, having that team around just to check in with is great, you know, so I definitely think, you know, nutrition is huge, sleep is huge, speech and language is huge, because there's always something that you can be working on to develop those skills in those early years. It doesn't have to be a speech and language challenge or a struggle or a problem it is just about bringing that in to help their communication I definitely think that when we're looking around kind of those early years having access to you know the post care for mums is really important you know I had a a rather a hormone driven discussion with my um (laughs) with my my um health visitor who couldn't come out or wasn't they weren't doing any home visits according to her during the pandemic and I just said how dangerous is that (laughs) I could be doing anything you know you know obviously was not um just you know put that right out there yeah Um, but I could have been and no one would have known and how dangerous 
because it's that for those little beings, you know, and, and so having access to that post care, not only for your child, but for yourself as a new mum going through a new identity or creating or finding a new identity and the the brain does like a whole kind of neurological shift as you turn into a mother yeah <laughs> um just like in toddlers and teenagers the science is a matrescence process if you're interested to look it up it's fantastic really useful in fact one of the balance team is a matrescence expert and they will be in the, the parent section of the balance zone that is so important because understanding the brain and, and how it works in different chapters and different times of development um so really i think there are so many options. It's just bringing them in one by one and having that, you know, um, I obviously kind of do coaching a lot for parents. I do 360 mum coaching as well, which is where we basically take their life and throw it out on a page <laughs> and work through it because it's all connected. You know, I don't believe that there is a work-life balance. Mm. Um, I believe that there is a life balance because when we try and separate work from life, we get internal conflict so it's just balancing life. And I think we kind of, we separate everything, don't we? In school, we separate all the subjects. In life, we try and separate all the, you know, our hobbies and this and that. But actually, when we start to integrate things, when we start to bring things together, that's when we make the most progress. That's when we can see what works and what doesn't and the patterns of our own behavior. So I think there's so many people that we could bring in. But I think, first of all, you know, we always need to look at, our physical needs first and then our emotional needs next or both at the same time because they're hugely linked um, and actually if we look at kind of behaviorist theories and we look at kind of Maslow and you know the hierarchy of needs and stuff like that I think that our physical needs drive our emotional needs very very strongly if I am hungry you know about it my <laughs> husband calls me Samgry because he's like it's a whole other level of hung hangry right there hangry is a real I think they need to add it to that list of emotions I mean, it's, you know it's a real thing yeah it is, it is I suffer sure. greatly me too um massive massive hangry um person <laughs> a lot of the time um so, so you know it is kind of thinking about for well, that impacts our classroom yeah I mean it certainly impacts my toddler at home mm. it certainly <laughs> impacts my toddlers when I was in the the nurseries mm-hmm. it always impacts staff in the cl- in the staff room exactly <laughs> you know you don't want to be in that queue for the microwave when everyone's you know hungry um so it really does have an impact and i think you know nutrition is a huge one sleep as i said is a huge one because they are fundamental needs that impact what we think in that moment and then what we experience emotionally yeah and I think in the collective as well, you were touching on something that's really important. It's yes, there are loads of different people that are involved in the child's life, like the OT, like the speech therapist, you know, stuff like that. But also it's just as important to look after the families, like you say, that postpartum care for the mothers. And what about, you know, fathers? Because, you know, not all fathers get the same paternity rights as mums do. They don't get as much time. You know, they need a whole different set of support as well. Single families, same sex families. You know, there's so many different challenges that all unique families need support with. And that's okay. But also to have support for each other. Sometimes, you know, it's obviously it's great to have the experts in who, you know, have spent time and specialized in this in order to help us, like your earliest teachers and stuff like that. But also having a community of people who are also in the same boat. I think is also really important and that in terms of the collective as well yeah it's just you don't necessarily have to have a level of expertise to be supportive and I just want to touch on in terms of like what you've seen and all the work that you've done what's the impact in not having 
I mean, I know you've talked on about your clients who didn't get support through the pandemic. What what sort of impact have you seen on children, on families when, and even like teachers and, and nurseries, what's the impact you've seen when this collective approach breaks down and there is no support? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. And actually, before I answer that one, thinking about the, you know, the community, the community vibes, you know, yeah. that's so important. And having that sharing is really important. I always also do remind people that there's one thing about sharing that that isn't necessarily helpful. And that's when you are sharing a story that's not useful over and over again. Because although we, and, and this is just a human experience kind of thing, but we are drawn to people who are having the same challenges as us. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, a great way to connect is to kind of have a little complaint share, you know, have a little moan about something together. Um, and that is so useful because we get to air it, get it out yeah. and feel, you know, non, no rejection or judgment with someone else who thinks the same thing. However, having a range of humans and with experiences in your community is really important because otherwise you kind of sink your ships together. Mm. If you both are rehearsing those stories that aren't really useful in terms of emotional stability and aren't getting you out of the situation because you're just rehearsing and practicing the old story then that doesn't move you forwards it keeps you stuck Mm. so I think when you choose your community and when you choose the people you surround yourself with it's really important to kind of think who is in that community and what how do they serve me (laughs) Um, and how do I serve them yeah because ultimately you know most of what we say just needs to be out but once it's out it's out once it's yeah, out there, you, you, you put it out there, you can't get it back in. Yeah. So it's it's like, okay, am I going to trigger someone else? I mean, we can't take responsibility for that, but it's just a conscious awareness of thought, isn't it? Of, is this something that, that needs to be shared? But also, is the community just kind of keeping me here when I want to be there, you know? And that's such a difficult thing to think about. And I've, I've done lots of work recently um, with kind of one of the biggest coaches in the world, actually. I was really like, loving some of the support that, that I was getting from their team. And um, Tony Robbins always says that <gasps> you are the average of the, I think it's like the seven people, I might have misquoted you there, Tony, I'm so sorry, the seven or five people that you surround yourself with. And if you are the average of those people, what does that give you? And I think sometimes when we're thinking about collaborative approaches, collective approaches, bringing everyone in together, are you creating the average you need in order to move forward? Or is that average keeping you where you are? Because I think that's really difficult to judge when you're finding life like tricky and tough. You know, if you're in a group and you see it in the staff room a lot Mm. um, because it is hard work you know it's really hard being a teacher or a practitioner and you can hear the the conversations being had and I I've often kind of been in and done training and stuff and pitched up next to people and been like you know they've had the training in the morning and we've got the afternoon session pitched up next to them and that something's come up and you know it might have been photocopying or what have you you know that's always a, a thing in the staff room isn't mm-hmm. it we always love a photocopy after <laughs> stress but <laughs> um you know I might I'll pitch up next to them and be like hmm so where are we averaging out? Where are we right now? Is this like, and I, you know, make a joke of like a five minute minor or a 10 minute minor, or are we moving on right now? You know, and they'll look at me and be like, oh, Sam, okay, yes. You know, because we would have done the, the stuff in the morning. 
Um, I won't I won't pitch up next to them before that because they'll be like, who is this woman and what is she saying, yeah. what is she saying to me? You know, <laughs> how dare she? Um, how dare she get involved? <laughs> get out. You know, um, but but if once they start to know the science behind it, and and I just kind of just remind them because we mm. do need to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with the people that are useful to us, and that sounds really <laughs> really bizarre, but it's so important, and that we are useful too because ultimately we want to help each other, and that's part of that collective approach yeah yeah can I just pause really? I'm sorry Tony yeah. Robbins the Tony Robbins yes yes you work you work you worked with the Not Tony Robbins. with him I've done I've been like to his some of his like big seminars and events and stuff <sighs> um and yeah I've had like coaching with his team and stuff so, what yeah. I know I've met KK I don't actually know her full name have you seen her? <laughs> yeah like, I I've met mean. her um and like Whoa. done the um the whole like Agotsku stuff like met Brian and like yeah like he's amazing so yes we went we were in um, Miami um last year and I went to do all of the stuff there so yeah it's been great to kind of and, and it's so useful you know with yes. all the stuff that we're talking about this collaborative and, and collective approach is so useful because we are we don't need to always look within education to take stuff and run with no. it you know absolutely not absolutely not a big fan of Tony Robbins as well listeners if you have no idea who we're talking about just go and like look up any Google. like self-improvement <laughs> self-help yeah. stuff like Tony Robbins you'll is be like flooded with information yeah and you'll be sucked in like like we are and just you know yes. love life it's great um but you were talking about like how you know you've seen the impact of it in terms of like us as practitioners or as schools or even like local authorities working with private nurseries and things how do we support that collective approach how do we encourage it within our settings and within our communities it's a great question I think the way we encourage it looks differently in different mm. places and I say that because I've been in lots of settings where they're very open to these discussions they're very open to making change they're very open to bringing people in budgets have a huge impact yeah of course the big b word and you know that's one of the things that I mean I'm working with schools at the moment but the schools I'm not in the first thing I hear from heads is that we don't have the budget yeah. and I'm like ah, okay so we are working on, on ways around that everyone will be happy to know I hope um, don't worry we will help you with your budget um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but ultimately I think change has to start by modeling so it's really good to start with one person and model it and run with it and see the difference because emotions are contagious and and so is progress and so is success and so though all the behavior patterns that we want to replicate because I think we talk about behavior patterns a lot in terms of making change but actually sometimes it, we just want to spot the patterns that have created success because success leads uh, Tony quote here we go success leads clues um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's true you know we do see the patterns in behavior we see what people are able to achieve because we can see where they've you know the things they've done to get there and actually when we start to model these things to others and those around us especially if, you know with our little humans we know as practitioners that modeling is crucial part of learning mm. but it doesn't stop when we get to seven or ten mm -hmm. or fifteen you know twenty five modeling we we see it all the time and we want to kind of just take that one person and then those two people and then those three people and then kind of go from there I think in terms of bringing that approach because it can be difficult when you hit that rock <laughs> when when you get that pushback of you know I've worked with lots of leadership teams and they're like there are just some members of staff that we can't get through to you know and I'm like 
bring them to me. <laughs> let me meet them. Um, <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me work with these people. These are the ones I really want to work with. Um, you know, because actually there is, and we come back to kind of full circle here, there is a lot of fear mm-hmm. around change. There is a lot of fear around making, you know, asking for help. And I think we forget that we've all gone through this education system ourselves. We've all had our own experiences, going back to kind of the filters that we talked about as well. We all have our own informed idea of the world based on those filters, based on what we know about it. And I always say to my clients, you know, we only know what we know. Right. And if we want to know more, we have to be ready to know more. And sometimes that's really scary. Sometimes, you know, especially as a parent or, you know, particularly as a parent, I would say practitioners too, but really as a parent, because there is nothing more important to you. The stakes are so high. And I'm always kind of, you know, my husband says to me, stop parenting through science. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, well, well, what's the point in knowing it? You know, we talk about knowledge. Knowledge is no good unless you implement it. So I'm implementing it. And that looks like parenting through science. You know, so I'm sorry about that. But because (laughs) it makes such a difference for what I want to achieve for my my little boy. And, And I think, you know, when we go into the classrooms, the intention, the knowledge is so good. Mm. the application of that and I'm not talking about what we teach I'm talking about the internal world that we share and it's that that I I think you know through our balance system and the balance zone and all the the work that we're doing in the world is that that's the gap it's bridging the gap between home and school for the internal world not just the external and I think the internal world I think is a really good point because perhaps maybe listeners are listening to this and thinking well I want to make this change I want to build these connections but budget which I know is an absolutely massive one staffing you know the ratios are crazy at the minute in terms of you know all of the things that um, practitioners and parents and you know the NHS you know there's just a lack of speech therapists of physio you know there's just you know everyone's struggling how do we do it I would say first is start with yourself just like Sam's been saying where do you need support where do you feel that you need to take time for you where where can you hold space for you if you're a room leader if you are a manager are you doing that for your team are you doing that for your staff because if you're not looking after your staff I don't know what you expect them to do you can't make them make miracles if they're absolutely exhausted and they're working 50 hour weeks and they you know more plus what about your parents mental health you're actually looking after them you know and start with what you already have and then mm. you know bridge out as well because it can get really overwhelming but you know start little steps you know yeah so it's the two millimeter rule you know every two millimeters makes a difference well, i like that you just have to shift two millimeters two millimeters at a time that's a great way yeah yeah i don't know where i learned that one from I, you know, it just, but it, it does, it all, it makes a shift. It all makes a difference. And I think sometimes we want, to, we want the meter. We want to, you know, the, the difference in our minds has to be so big, you know, this huge change. Um, and I, I'm absolutely kind of with you, you know, I want to make huge, ha- huge change. My goal <laughs> for what we are doing is to make huge, huge meters and meters and meters and meters of change. But like, actually it's being done by two millimeter changes Mm -hmm. in one classroom in one school in one home you know and actually it has to be that because that's how we make the big differences and I think you know when we are looking at how we support staff staff retention as you said is huge because we're not making those two millimeter shifts within our staff we're not helping them to move the needle for themselves we're just kind of we're all just treading water yeah that's a lovely note to end on look at that it's like drop the mic treading water 
Now, before we go, are you happy to play a little game? Because I always do it with my guests. Oh, always. Let's play. Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's end on some fun. Let's end on some fun. Uh, so we call it Would You Rather Teacher Edition? And I'll ask you some questions. First one's always the same. The next two, I kind of tailor it to who I'm talking to so we get to know you a little bit more. But the first one is, would you rather tea or coffee? Tea. Oh. But not not a generic tea. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, have, I know, I know. I have found a love for turmeric tea. Oh, which is so random. Um, but yeah, that's my go to. I started to this, I definitely this is kind of balanced approach, guys. Um, I started to, <laughs> to um, look at kind of health benefits of, of certain things, and turmeric is well up there. So, yes, I have tea, I either have lemon and ginger or I have turmeric. Oh, I like it. Dropping some health little benefits there as well. I like it. Thank you. (laughs) Now, your second question. I mean, it's the summer. It's lovely outside. We've been very blessed with the heat in England. Would you rather ice cream or ice lolly? Oh, this is a really tough one because it depends on when you catch me. Oh. (laughs) Like sometimes I really want to dig into an ice cream and other times I'm like, no, don't do it. Have a nice lolly mm, instead. Mm. Um, but I really do like a Solero. That's my go-to. What's but a Solero kind of a mixture. So it's like got kind of ice ice lolly outside, I guess. Yeah. Kind of like a, and then ice cream in the middle. So I, I guess don't think it's I've had like one. A, combination, a Solero, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to yeah. try it. They are my favourite. They're my go-tos. Particular flavours? Um, I don't know. The orange one. like it's, But it's not an orange flavour. It's, it's like just orange. Whatever it says on the thing. <laughs> but it's the only thing in the freezer that I will race my toddler for. Because <laughs> I'm like, That's no! Brilliant. Oh, race for the Soleros. I like it. I like it. That's it. And then, last but certainly not least, I find this one so tricky. Would you rather a longer summer break, but shorter breaks in the half terms and like terms or longer half term and end of term breaks but short summer oh longer half term breaks oh tell me why because i think you know the the summer holidays served a purpose you know post-war um (laughs) (laughs) we we don't need to have i mean some of my schools are off for like you know nearly eight weeks um oh wow you know six six weeks eight weeks this is a very long time i think it builds anxiety for mm. both staff and children in the return. You know, it's a long time for parents to manage childcare. And I think it's, we all need break, regular breaks. It's a bit like going to the gym and doing like a five hour stint and then not going for like a month or 10 months. That's so true. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it doesn't really serve its purpose in that way because actually, yeah, it's kind of like, I think definitely think having reg- regular input is always better than one-offs yeah I think I'm with you there like although a very long summer <laughs> sounds really tempting I'm like oh my god it'll be great the thing is it's it's the burnout we get to every mm. half term to every end of term it's not enough time to recover and we shouldn't even be recovering in those half terms and end of no. terms we should be enjoying it going yeah exactly but yeah if we do little and often I think it'll balance everything out won't it absolutely i love it i love it there you go 
Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, I've learned loads and I know our listeners will probably have more questions for you and will want to seek out more. So if our families and our listeners want to do that, where can we find you and what have you got coming up? Oh my goodness. So we, um, you can find me on all of the platforms, of course, SPD, Tuition and Coaching. (laughs) Um, So I, I tend to hang out on Instagram. Um, and then it, you know, goes on to Facebook or, you know, all the other ones or LinkedIn. So you can find me Samantha Delarco on LinkedIn or, or Instagram at SPD Tuition and Coaching. I love it when people email me or pick up the phone even better and just give me a ring. It's always nice to hear from people. And what have we got coming up? We are basically trying to build momentum for the balance system. The, the balance zone is being released in September. Uh, doors will be open for schools to I guess subscribe for want of a better word so they will get access as part of the training the wider training they get access to that um schools will also then be able to give access to their parents oh, so wow. not only do the teachers get access to the teacher zone but they get a code for their parents to access the parent zone too so we are full 360 it guys um so that is opening up in september and of we are fully booked for september so we we haven't got any training availability in terms of setting trainings for september we are kind of working now back end of that term and into the the new year but anyone that is interested in running staff well-being sessions anyone that wants to run some we're particularly kind of focusing on emotional regulation in terms of supporting behavior um, and coming away from rewards and sanctions that's really kind of the goal with with regards to that balanced approach um, is to start building that internal voice that holds momentum for our young people so we are running lots of those throughout the year and that of course can be bespoke for settings as well so exciting I'll make sure to put all the links in the episode description as well so you're just a click away and people can go and have a look but I'm so excited for your launch I really please keep me updated I want to know we will yeah absolutely, Good. absolutely. I'm excited well thank you so thank much you. Sam it's been lovely now go and enjoy the lovely weather I'll let you go but it's been a pleasure I and hope you, you have a great day thank you so much thank you there we are the collective approach in an episode and sam was so fun to talk to isn't she just such bubbly fun you can feel her energy i hope uh, while you're listening to her it's very exciting and she's clearly really passionate about making sure that the early years is a community and we help each other I know, especially from my experience as working as an early years teacher in schools, it can feel quite isolating because we're so different from the rest of the school. You know, I remember in one school, half of the teachers didn't even know where the nursery was, which was a blessing and a curse in some ways. We were left well alone, which we quite liked. But it also meant that we had to deal with things on our own as well. And that can be quite difficult. So we've got this wonderful community of our podcast listeners. We've got a lovely community on Facebook and Instagram as well. We've got a reception practitioners Facebook group, a nursery practitioner Facebook group. We have got private day nursery groups. We've got childminder groups parent groups for children of early years there's so many so if you haven't checked us out already go and check it out we have got an amazing community of experts and also just people who are doing the same as you and that's nice sometimes isn't it and of course we've got the amazing people like sam who are paving the way and making it possible for everybody to come together in one place because it can be quite hard 
to find the people that you need, right? Especially if you don't even know who to go to. So that's what we're here to do. And I hope you found this episode useful. Check out the links in our episode description and come and check out our social media to get more support. But I hope you have a lovely day and I'll see you next episode. Goodbye. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to join in or would like to know more, then come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook page, Facebook groups, an Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. All the links of where to find us will be in our podcast description. Come and join the conversation. And whatever you're doing today, I hope you have a great day.